This is CliffCentral.com. Grant, I need to make a critical business decision. We've been expanding rapidly, and my gut feel tells me that we should be investing for growth. But I need to put some financial science behind that gut feel of mine. Don't you have a financial manager or director that can help you with that? But isn't that rather expensive? It doesn't have to be. Why don't you contact the finance team? They're a consultancy that can provide you with a part-time financial manager or director at a fraction of the cost of a full-time resource. Go to thefinanceteam.co.za. Welcome to our Business Masterclass. I'm Richard Angus, CEO of the Finance Team, your part-time financial executive solution. Joining me in studio as part of our panel today is Safia Boulay of New Habits, Making Shift Happen. Hi, Richard. As well as Leandi Streta, business coach and guide from RaceCorp. Thank you, Richard. Last week, we discussed ethical decisions and dilemmas, uh, an interesting podcast. Go to uh, the Cliff Central website to download a podcast on that show. It uh, really makes you one think, particularly given where we are in today's day and age. Remember our hashtag, hashtag keep ethics alive. Today's theme, we're going to be speaking with Musidi Mudisi, founding, uh, founding curator of the Global Shapers Stellenbosch Hub, about her recent trip to Shanghai with a group of eight shapers and what she discovered and we also have Greg Sarandos with us in uh, studio. Greg spent the last two years in Silicon Valley working with startups on messaging and her, his the whole question of the go-to-market strategy. He's now back in SA working with local technology and disruptive companies on their marketing strategy. So, Greg, thank you for joining us. It's good to be here. Great. So, um, Musidi. Tell us a little bit about Global uh, Global Shapers. What is the Global Shapers program? Ah, we seem to have lost Musidi. <laughs> We've lost Musidi. Okay, great. Okay, Musidi, are you with us on the line? I am on the line. I'm okay. <laughs> yeah, that's much better, much better. You were very soft initially. Exactly. Great. Okay. Thank you. So tell us a little bit more about what is Global Shapers? It's an interesting concept. So the Global Shapers is an initiative of the World Economic Forum that gives young people between the ages 23 and 33 a platform to create um, hub-based change within their community. And so it was initiated uh, by the World Economic Forum in 2011 um, with a need to give young people a seat at the table, a seat at the table. So um, in South Africa, we have six hubs. Three are up in the Gauteng region, so in Swane, in Johannesburg, and in Soweto. And then we have one in Senebosch and one in Cape Town, together with one in Durban. And then globally, there's about 600 hubs totally. Okay. So that, that's quite a, an interesting... And what was the objective of setting up Global Shapers? What was the the objective when they set this out? So, so um, Professor Klaus Schwab, who's the founder and the brains behind the World Economic Forum, um, thought it was important for the um, community or the forum to have um, the youth um, having advocacy and their voices in shaping policy. Um, before 2011, there was quite a big gap and discrepancy around them. And I think the big drive or catalyst was when we had the Arab Spring in, um, um, was it in, so when the Arab Spring happened in, the, in, in North Africa, um, there were quite, so there was a need to say, like, these are the youth taking um, matters to their own hands about 
wanting change and reform, it is important to include them in these dialogues and conversations. So as that happened, they found a strategy and a way to uh, integrate young people by forming this um, community, but making it more independent and kind of self-run than how other chapters or initiatives in the forum are, are run. Um, so that we can be able to create local impact. And it's, it's been a life-changing experience, to be honest, being a shaper. You kind of change your paradigm on an ongoing basis, trying to live a life that's more purposeful, and you ask yourself, you know, you know you have the ability to make the world better or to improve the state of the world. So how can you do it collaboratively with others? Okay. So now talk to us a little bit about this uh, Shanghai excursion that you went on. <laughs> why, sh- why Shanghai? And tell us a little bit of background as to what you do and how, how this is done. Okay, so it, it's the the process in Shanghai was like the mandate of it is, is exactly it meets the exact spot of what our mandate is as hubs or as shapers, as we call ourselves, which is to create local impact. So the Shanghai Hub um, invited eight shapers to come over to see if they could come into the city to create impact um, and improve something within seven days. So it was one of the ideas of one of the shapers. And you know, China has a lot of challenges around things like pollution, things like um, um, the need to kind of create uh, better access to um, clean um, transportation, if you want to call it that, that doesn't emit a lot of like energy. But I work in financial services, so I was very interested around seeing if I could learn around the savings culture in China and bring back the knowledge to improve the savings culture here in South Africa. So I went about going there um, under the invitation of the, um, the Shanghai Hub um, to go and, and go over there and improve something in the week. Um, and then it was a really fantastic experience as well to just understand the role that technology plays in how people save and consume in China. And they also have this very fascinating um, customs of giving money as, as gifts um, in red envelopes for the Chinese New Year or on a great basis. Mm-hmm. So I thought it would be interesting to go there and learn also around do they actually invest that disposable income and that they get extra as gifts and what can we learn from that. Mm. So that's an, that's an interesting uh, let's call it a cultural element. I mean, I, I don't know anybody in the room uh, on my panel here. The, did anybody give you a little red envelope any time in the last year? I certainly haven't been gifted any any sort of money of late. But And I, wa- I want to explore that a little bit more, Musidi, in terms of how, how that whole cultural space works and, and what you observed, because I think there's some important... Uh, learnings that we that we can get we can get from that, um, but yeah. b- before we go there, I mean, Greg, one of, one of the things that I want your input on, uh, you've o- obviously also got some great international experience. Um, the the one thing that always strikes me as people move across the world is we always think that um, you know the world is, is such a small place and 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 things are so. Um, uh, you know, the, the internet's everywhere and everything's like this, let's call it homogeneous world out there. But cultures, and I mean, what, what Mercedes is talking about, the, you know, the little gift giving in the red envelope in, in the Chinese gift environment, 
you know, there's uniqueness in many other cultural sp- perspectives. And I'd be interested as we go through this conversation, I'm inviting you to just share with us your insights that you've seen globally with, with different sort of cultural behavior sets as, as we go. Now, Mercedes, just so tell us about this Chinese experience in a little bit more detail in terms of this whole red, uh, 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 I must tell you, as you said it, the red envelope, uh, you know, uh, giving, I was like for a moment there, I thought for a moment you were going to tell us all about, uh, uh, Gupta leaks and brown, brown enveloping going on. <laughs> 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 that's a, that's the thing we understand well <laughs> in this country, yeah. obviously. But, but tell us a little bit about the, this, this cultural space. Um, how does this yeah. process work? Many people wouldn't understand this. So, so, yeah, so I did a little bit of research before leaving around it and actually got somebody to give me a little tutor of the history and the origin of it, how it differs from, like, whether you come from the north of China or the south. And for, like, for years and years, it used to be, like, a custom by which you give somebody this red envelope over New Year's. So, yeah, it's an interesting cultural space, um, you know, in terms of how how they move you know, and, and how the, uh, the from a customary perspective, this almost let's call it the the giving giving happens. I think the one thing that I did pick up is this whole question of okay, so now you've you've got a gift. What are what are you doing with it? And I mean, I think that for me is is one of the things that I I want to explore a little more around. So so there's all this money flowing around gifting as part of the Chinese cultural space, but what do they do with all of this? So I'm, I'm sure Greg's going to talk about what they're going to do with it, or Medisa's going to come back and talk about what they're going to do with it. But, I mean, when you look at many of the Eastern cultures, um, gift-giving is such a critical part of doing business because there's the practice of abundance. And there's the idea that if you are practicing abundance and you are giving, um, you are creating a pathway for you to be receiving. Um, and so there is this, this ebb and flow of you are part of a bigger ecosystem. And if you play your part in the ecosystem, you'll also be rewarded equally for how you play and show up in the ecosystem. And so gift giving is like, it's just, it's, 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 it's a modern day kind of, you know, offering to the universe <laughs> to ensure that you have your place in the ecosystem as well. Yeah, back back in the '90s, I lived in um, lived in Tokyo for five years, mm-hmm. and the Japanese have their own gift giving. But on, on a, a, certainly, the junior level I was on, what we were exposed to was golf outings, uh, dinners, uh, nights out, bottles of whiskey. It was th- it was that kind of thing. Um, but what's, what what we see here in South Africa, what we see in, in, in China and other places, um, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of dollars of per gift trans- giving. of gift giving per transaction, um, it gets to be too much. Mm-hmm. Uh, what makes the Americans unique in this in this context is we have something called the Foreign Corruption Act, mm. um, and basically, if I were to give somebody you know, a bribe today, the FBI would swoop down and, and take me to some black, black ops center, you know, in North Africa before they had me return to the U.S. It's a very, very serious thing for the U.S. Now, that doesn't mean the Americans don't get what they want. They just have other other methods to get what they want, yeah. if that makes sense. Yeah. So something that I used to remember um, as a South African um, is, you know, that before we were, before it sort of could become corrupted in terms of your, your the gift giving side of things you know um, could be seen as a bribe and, and so forth was you know back in the day it was traditionally part of 
you know, Christmas, birthdays, etc. Mm-hmm. Uh, where a hundred bucks really went a long way, you know. But, so, yeah. But I do think that what Mosidi is talking about is not bribery. I think it's mm, it's, no, it's a practice sure. of generosity. It's about it's a New Year celebration. Mm. And we have the red envelope, and it's part of the tradition it's of a the custom. And that is the also symbolic, yeah. Yeah. yeah, very much so. And back in the day in South Africa as well, we had—I don't know if you guys did it. I think it's an English, English tradition where you know you would have a, a pudding with a, a penny or something in yeah. it, and you'd be the lucky you know, the person if you you were. I I, I, I remember distinctly uh, one year growing up, the bakery uh, near my grandparents. Uh, decided that they thought that a certain charity needed more, uh, you know, more funding. So what they decided to do was they said they would donate uh, a portion of the profits from the Christmas puddings that they made that year to this particular charity. And then the owner of the bakery decided that he would put a little bit more incentive into the yeah. red envelope, <laughs> yeah, or the uh, the gift. And he went out and purchased 10, I think it is a tenth or you know, one tenth ounce Kruger Rands. Wow. Okay. Because these, these, uh, um, these, uh, Christmas puddings always came with, you know, whatever at the time, 20 mm. cents or 50 cents, whatever's little pieces in them. Uh, it's part of the, you know, genuine thing. And so that year there were five, Ten, uh, one tenth ounce Krugerrands placed at random in the in the um, you know in the Christmas uh, Christmas puddings that this camp, uh, that this bakery was doing. Well, I don't even need to tell you what happened to the volume of trade <laughs> and what that what that charity was gifted uh, at the end of it because now everybody was buying their Christmas puddings from this bakery <laughs> to try and acquire the uh, the opportunity to get to get the uh, Kruger Rands. So yeah, gift giving I think is is part of the the culture of, of many different societies. I think for me, uh, and we're trying to get uh Musidi back on the on the line uh, we are having some challenges with that um the the one thing that was very clear if i if i look at what she experienced in china was just how over time the demographic uh you know as people as the population had, had split with the you know the older generation and the younger generation um and and where they had gone with let's call it the taking the gift and actually doing something with it in terms of either spending it or saving it and and there were some interesting learnings that we were going to chat to her about in terms of you know consuming and the consumption mindset versus the investment mindset mm-hmm. and how how that that changes over time um, and and there's an impact obviously similar sort of uh, questions I guess in the in every society as to whether people are spending every cent that they've got or whether they actually or, or recognize the value of having that that saving and that 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 extra on on the side. Now, the the one thing that that always comes to mind, and I mean, we 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 talk a lot about let's call it fintech, and Greg, this is your 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 space, is how people 
can use fintech to to do different things, uh, you know, and do the same stuff differently. And I'm pretty sure there's an opportunity here. Somebody's going to say to us, "Hey, well, here's a here's a way to gift people." I mean, I can just see it. You know, here's the way to gift your Chinese gift for the new year, you know for the new year cross to your friend on their cell phone. Tap the cell phone. You know, the usual technology bump. You know, send you a card, whatever it may be. And then I'm going to create a platform that allows you to invest sort of money. I mean, have you seen something of that that sort of ilk in the technology space? Yeah, fintech is one of the hottest spaces in Silicon Valley and the local innovation and entrepreneurship space. Um, Anything that drives down transaction costs makes cross-border transactions easier and cheaper and faster. Um, Anything that just disrupts banks is is very, very hot. Um, and banks are basically sitting back in, in, in a state of terror trying to innovate themselves. Um, and they're, they're trying to find these companies and, and bring them in or invest in them so that they get some sort of upside. Um, but the bottom line is when you send a, a transaction from a South African bank in the UK to South Africa, it can take five days. Mm. And, um, and of course you have the, the, the interest rate spread as well. So there's a lot of, a lot of money on the table that, um, very smart entrepreneurs and investors are investing in now, mm, to, to, both in to, Africa and in the U.S. Yeah. Now, I mean, if, let's talk for a moment about let's call it the savings culture that we that we have across across, across the globe. I mean, is having a savings culture something that economies should be worrying about? Is this something that we should be thinking about? Or do you know, is it important to have savings? I guess is always the is always the question. Um, what are your views on, on that? I mean, well, the average American has 90 days of, of uh, money in the bank to survive. Um, and the, the stats must be slightly worse in South Africa as well. Um, on Gareth Cliff's program this morning, there was a, there was a guest talking about uh, savings and, and, um, and spending. Mm. And basically, the average South African spends everything they have, mm. um, and then they don't account for tax and other things. So they end up you know, worse off year on year. Okay. Which is a bit of a problem, yeah. Because consumer savings drives business savings, which drives government savings and being able to invest back into the country. Mm, that's always a concern. Musidi, do we have you back with us? Yeah. Hi, can you hear me now? <laughs> yeah, we can hear you now. We lost you there for for a few minutes. So, in your in your engagement with uh, in, in in China, what was your learning about the the red, red envelope exercise, and more particularly, what people were doing with the content of this gift? Yeah, to be honest, I was pleasantly surprised around the fact that it's the, the novelty around physical red envelopes is is kind of worn off. And so to say, like every time I'd ask people around, we get you know. They call them Hongbao or the Christmas. They laugh at me and they say, but that's for kids. So it's something whereby kids customarily get them as gifts, um, well, like some family members and loved ones um, for, for their Chinese New Year. But what's been interesting is how WeChat digitized the process of uh, kind of distributing these white envelopes and then created like a game around it. So in the, in the, in the context of adults, how they feel applicable now is and there's always like these games that stem from them where you can transfer digital red envelopes, not just over Chinese New Year, but on an ongoing basis um, for, for people to, to keep it social. Like in their own words, they say now we just, um, it's part of like our social norms. Um, we're over a birthday or something, we'll just send it to you. Or if you are late for like a, a, a team meeting or a social gathering, 
you will, you get fined and then you have to pay people in digital handouts. So the novelty of them has, uh, in the way which I understood or had the, the assumptions of how they work is that they were um, relevant in terms of children, but then the digital ones are creating a, a, a good social um, um, currency, if you want to call it that, that people don't really take seriously. But I, w- I would think that there's still so much opportunity that one could be tapping to how do you match people to invest that, that money that they get to involved because the platforms and the, the sophistication in technology is there to make it really easy to do so. Mm. Now, I mean, uh, I guess the question is, as, as South Africans, I mean, we, we, we clearly struggle with the concept of, um, uh, you know, savings. We, we know that South Africa generally has a, has a really poor culture of, of savings uh, generally. Mm. I mean, your, your learnings from, from this, you know, the eight days that you spent in, in uh, Shanghai, mm. what, is that challenge that they're experiencing consistent across, uh, across your, uh, you know, other environments? Yeah, is it, so, I mean, is this a is this not just a South African thing, but it, it, it's a global trend and yeah. a global challenge? Yeah, I think it definitely is a global challenge, and we need not be hard on ourselves because we experience the same pressures of uh, an economy that has a rising middle class and the ramifications from a census then save mentality that stems from that. I mean, in China, it's quite evident uh, that then the savings culture they have evolving quite drastically. In the past, the older generation used to be quite um, frugal or still are, remain very frugal and, and you know, put a, a big um, value or premium on saving, whereas the younger population, however, is growing up in a China that's achieving unprecedented growth and has been doing so for the past 30 years. So the, and then there's a lot of incentives to consume. It's very easily done on um, mobile platforms like Alipay and WeChat. So for them, they also experience the same challenge. And the Zaptic technology has had a very good role to play in providing uh, an easy mechanism by which they can consume. Um, but then we must also exercise some prudence, especially at this time of the year, looking at Christmas. Um, you know, sit down and as households, people need to sit down and just be like, what is realistically our budget to afford for the toys for the kids just for the rest of the families and then what are wants and needs as well because mm. I one thing as well walking away or, or coming back here is like I have no doubt that there will also in a few years come a time where we pay for everything using things like Netscan or Zeta as they do in China mm. um, and it will be very difficult to also consider um, putting money away when it's so easy to and convenient to buy the things we we want and not necessarily need. Mm. So, 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 yeah, I was pleasantly surprised as well around the fact that there isn't such a strong saving culture in China mm. anymore, and it's been it's been um, eroded by by making it easy for people to consume using technology. So, I, I guess what you're what I'm hearing is you're saying the more enabled we we make the payment stream, the less likely we are to see. Um, you know, pay, uh, savings happen because people—it's ha- just so easy 
to spend and it's it's there and it's you know it's as you say at the end of snap scan and the end of anything that you you know all the different payment methods and methodologies and thus you're able to actually almost spend it without having to give too much thought to it it's it's quite it's quite interesting i i always say you know it's uh challenge of people having more month over than money you know when they, yeah. when they get to the 23rd and there's there's not enough to get to the 25th uh, but that is an uh, is kind of an indicator of of where things are at uh globally where people are constantly under pressure i i mean for the first time in a long time i've heard people at senior levels saying to me things like you know i'm battling to come out on my my salary um i'm dipping into my savings mm. you know to to come come out in a month and these are people that are um you know are uh you know professionals they um you know they're able to to earn and and demand fairly good salaries etc and when people like that are saying they're struggling in 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 a consumption uh, ridden environment, you you really have to pay attention and say, sure, you know that's 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 an interesting perspective. Yeah, to have. and I think I think what's concerning as well is how easy this to access debt. Um, so these short-term loans that every bank now, like you say, apparently with longer, probably like longer, you can get a loan, a short-term loan, um, in six seconds. So what that does to people because they come with a very high interest that people are either unaware of or they really of they are aware of them but then they need the money so desperately they're willing to forgo the, the, the or, or, or override the fact that it costs them so much to get access to those things. I think that's the one big problem. Mm. And a lot of people in China as well were 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 touching on it before to say never before did we have people wanting or demanding credit so much that it's slowly but surely rapid, it's rapidly creeping into the economy and they have to find a way to actually pivot through developing a social credit system. Mm. So a, a, a very transparent, visible way where you, like a transunion, so there's a lot more visibility to the broader market. So anybody that wants to lend you money for anything or where you want to take out a lease to have access to that information around your credit readiness, mm. which wasn't really a problem before. Yeah. So I think yeah, the whole. Although I mean, I guess the flip side to savings is availability of credit, and just yeah. how easy that is, and the, and the challenges that that we faced with that. Yeah, okay. and, and also in in trying to like open up um, really good savings for investment um, products, it's quite cumbersome. You need a lot of paperwork. There's no straight through at a click of a button. Um, do it, but you are seeing some of that innovation or companies applying themselves. To looking at how can they enable that. Mm, right. Okay, stay with us for part two as we discuss the culture of savings, both locally and internationally. Stay with us for part two. This is CliffCentral.com.